We're on a journey with Jesus even uh, right now in our series. <clears throat> journey to Jerusalem talks about Jesus setting his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew he had a, a goal in mind. And so between chapter 951 of Luke to the end, he's, uh, he's on a journey to try not just a destination, but he's trying to teach his disciples what's important. And today he has uh, some rules of etiquette uh, for us to follow. All three, of the, the, three or four of the uh, passages I'm going to be looking at out of Luke chapter 14 talk about food. A little bit different angle than the last couple of weeks. have been a little more heavier theology. Today it's about food, banquet, party. Anyone interested? Party time. So I have to tell you, I don't know if this is confession or not, but I, several months ago, probably six or eight months ago, I had been scheduled to come to the church on a Sunday afternoon and to give a prayer of dedication for um, the, the pastor, uh, new, the, the, we have a Korean group that meets here in the afternoon on Sundays, and they were going to install him as pastor. So they said, would you come as a representative of MRAC and, and offer a prayer? I said, sure, happy to help out. So I, I kind of, uh, I live in Abbotsford, and, and, and so I, I left it a little late to, to come here in the afternoon, especially because there was traffic, heavy traffic, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Like, there's, it's going to be making me late to get here. And I thought, well, they only have like 40 or so people meeting, so it's going to be kind of a quick uh, event. Uh, oh, I should probably put a tie on, I suppose. And uh, I mean, I don't normally wear one, but I thought I better because, you know, it's maybe more of a formal thing. So I'm zipping along down the highway. Traffic hits. It's like 10 or 15 extra minutes, and now I'm going to be here just on, like I will walk in just about as they start. <clears throat> and I had heard earlier that we, they normally meet in our chapel, but they wanted this room. And I'm going, what do they need this room for? Like they're going to be like swamped. And I said, okay, well, let me make a call. We'll see if we can find a sound guy for you. So Andrew Croswell was available. He came early to set up. I'm going, what do you have to set up for? Like you just need probably a microphone. And so when I came down uh, Dooney Trunk to the parking lot, they had parking attendants there. And they had these, these light things and directing people. And, and the entire parking lot was full. And I'm like, what is happening here? I hadn't even printed off my prayer yet. I'd written something out, went to my office, printed it out quick. I came in here, and this place was packed. This whole row was uh, pastors from the mother church. That whole section was their choir in robes. <laughs> they had the PowerPoints going in Korean and in uh, English, and um, they all had suits and, and formal attire on, and I'm like, oh, better come on. <laughs> I sat down, and uh, when it was my turn to pray, um, I, I, I gave my prayer, and I didn't understand anything that happened the entire time. Otherwise, it was all in Korean. Then afterwards, there was food. I mean, they brought more food. They, they had the entire foyer of our chapel area full of food. They filled up the entire chapel with tables and people. There was people in the hallways having food. They said, can we use downstairs as well? Because we, we don't have enough spaces for everyone. So they, and, and then, okay, so Korean food. How many of you here are Korean? Is any other? Okay, so it's a little different than what we're used to. Um, so it was quite exciting, a very colorful kinds of thing. And then I get to set at the pastor's table. And these are all the lead pastors from the Korean church, very large. I think 1,000 members or more over there. 
And then it turns out that they were interested. They knew experiencing God that my dad had written. And so I said, well, come to my office. I'll show you some original things on experiencing. And they were taking pictures of me in my office and the things like. <laughs> what I was expecting and what actually turned out to be happening in our, and it was an, a glorious time. And it was a great time of affirmation as well. And so lots of things are going on. Probably you don't even, aren't aware of all the things that are happening. Our Cantonese service uh, had their six-month anniversary uh, two weeks ago, and they're, they're thriving. We're going to actually combine with them on Easter Sunday to do some things together as well. Um, and so, but, I mean, the, the whole time, I didn't expect the banquet afterwards, and it was amazing, and uh, I ate really weird things. But, uh, you know, it's like a cultural experience. Um, so I learned a little bit about what, other cultures have to do when they come to our country and they can't find their familiar foods. Today I'm talking about feasts and parties and uh, per- Jesus' perspective on what's going on. And it's, uh, it's a little different because actually with uh, the talks about the feasts and the parties and banquets that are going on, he actually doesn't even one time mention food. So let's hear what Jesus had to say. Luke chapter 14, what is it about these times of gathering? So it says on one Sabbath, Jesus was having dinner at the home of an important Pharisee, and everyone was carefully watching Jesus. So I don't know how many guests. Let's say there's 20, 30 guests there, I'm guessing, possibly. And the word in Greek for carefully watching Jesus is lurking. <laughs> they were lurking. Like they had intently watching every move, everything he said, people there. And you get the sense that this was not a normal dinner. They had an agenda. There's an ulterior motives for what this dinner was all about. And all of a sudden, a man with swollen legs stood up in front of him. Jesus turned and asked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? They didn't say a word. Jesus took hold of the man. He healed him and sent him away. And afterwards, Jesus asked the people, if your son or your ox falls into a well, wouldn't you put him Pull him out right away, even on the Sabbath, and there was nothing they could say. This man is suffering from what we call today dropsy. And what that is, uh, well, dro- we call it actually edema today. It was called dropsy in the, in the, when this was written. The edema is where you have uh, liquid that forms underneath the skin, and your, all your legs can swell up, and it, not just um, your legs, your ankles, your feet, but it can affect the entire body, as well as your internal organs can be affected. And I don't know what the um, prognosis is in terms of uh, lifespan with that, if you're dealing with that and don't have proper medications. Today, we have medications to deal with it, and this day, likely not. There were rules around the Sabbath about not working on the Sabbath, and I can't imagine, though, that like, they're trying to trap Jesus. What we expected, because this was a private home, this guy didn't just come off the street. Uh, scholars kind of expect that what happened was that the Pharisees tried to devise a way to trap Jesus yet again. They found a fellow that was infirm, and they said, hey, come to my place for dinner tonight. We've got a job for you. When I give you the, cl- when I give you the, the, the clue, I want you to stand up in front of Jesus, and we're going to see what he does. I don't know how he felt about that. I mean, if this was a trap, can you imagine what was going through this man's mind? 
What did he think about being used by a Pharisee as no more than a tool to make accusation against this good teacher? I can imagine he was conflicted in his mind, in his thinking. You know, maybe he should expose someone who's a charlatan or a false teacher, but on the other hand, the rumor is he's been healing a lot of people. Now's my chance. I kind of expect that when he stood there in front of Jesus, probably the Pharisee nodded the head, he got up, he stood there in front of Jesus and looked at Jesus. I kind of suspect he was conflicted. Probably they were paying him to be there, to trap Jesus, but on the other hand, he was in a physical condition he couldn't control. And he probably was afraid. And I wonder if he looked into Jesus' eyes with hope. Maybe this is my day. Maybe, maybe I can be healed. The Bible says he didn't say anything. He just stood there. What could he say? So Jesus looks at them and says, so is it okay to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they didn't say, crickets. Cheep, 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 cheep. They weren't going to say no because then it shows how heartless they were to a person in a physical condition, but they couldn't say yes because then there would be nothing to trap him with. So they just said nothing. He takes the man, he heals the man and says, you know, on your way. Gets him out of the situation, frees him up, and, and, and Jesus goes on to explain, okay, like if your son, your donkey, your, your, uh, any, your, if, if any of your animals fell into a pit, wouldn't you pull them out or would you wait till Monday or the end of the Sabbath? Again, they just said nothing. The man didn't even ask for healing. He just stood there, and Jesus did what Jesus does. He sets people free. He deals with their situations and shows them that God does care. I was thinking, you know, if, if um, this was an opportunity, I would have told the Pharisees, pick me. Like, <laughs> pick me. I want to be standing in front of Jesus. I want the opportunity to leave freed from my bondage or my illness or whatever it, it was bothering me. You know, uh, <clears throat> these silent accusers actually did this man a great favor. They, gave, they brought him to the healer and, and then kind of like dared Jesus to heal him. Who gets a private audience with Jesus and gets healed? They did him a great favor. Kind of like the, the other religious leaders that caught this woman committing adultery, brought, him, brought her to Jesus, threw her at Jesus' feet, and basically was trying to get Jesus to say she deserves death, right? And uh, in that situation, similarly... All the accusers left embarrassed while the woman left free and forgiven. They thought they were going to use her to trap Jesus, and instead she left free from the bondage of her lifestyle and her sin. Well, if you know your Bible, you know that actually um, this is the fourth time on a Sabbath that Jesus is doing something positive, and he's trying to be tra- and people are trying to trap him or blame him or accuse him because he's doing good on the Sabbath. There's a man in Luke chapter six. It says uh, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man there with a right hand that was withered. Um, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Again, this word lurking. Watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, 
as Jesus does. And he says to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose, stood there, and Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful? Again, same thing. I ask you, is it lawful to, on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. And then it says, but they, the religious leaders, were filled with fury and discussed one, with one another how they might harm Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, Him, Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, whatever I do on the Sabbath is perfectly fine. I created it. I can do whatever I want with the Sabbath. Don't tell me how to live on the Sabbath. You see, their hearts were hard. They were rule-based. They were, they were legalistic. They were trying to protect the, the law, and, and in doing so, they harmed the people. And Jesus said, it's not about the law. It's not about your tradition. It's about people. I came to save people. People are the priority, not religious rules, not traditions of the church, not rituals or rites or customs. But Jesus came to save and heal and love and forgive people, not institutions. On the Sabbath, he's bringing liberation to people that are in bondage. But there's a next story. I think he probably is still sitting at the same table, I'm guessing. It doesn't say he left. It just says he kind of continues. He says, says, uh, he saw when the guests came in, how they tried to take the best seats in the house. So he told them, and this is uh, etiquette lesson um, number one. He says to them, you know, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the best places. Like normally the best places are on the right hand or the left hand of the host or close to the head table, that type of thing. Remember uh, James and John's mom, the two disciples, she comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, got a question for you. You know, when you come into your kingdom, I think you should have my boys on your right and your left hand. And Jesus tells her, you know, that's, that's not for me to say. But she wanted her boys to be in the best, two best seats in the house at the right and left hand of the master. Mom's just looking out for her kids, but she didn't understand the cost involved. So he says, someone more important, like if you go and sit in the, on the right hand of the host and someone more important comes in, they're going to take you. And by the time this more important, usually more important people come you know, a little bit late, they're going to be seen a little bit more. A bit of a flourish in the robes and all that kind of stuff. They will take you and the only seats left are going to be where? The back of the room because there's none left now. Everyone's there. You're going to be taken from the seat of honor and put in the seat of shame. He says, you know what, instead, just go sit in the seat of shame first. And then when the host sees you, he's going to say to the person on his right, you know, hey, excuse me, um, I, I need this seat. Can you, would you mind vacating? Because, hey, come on up, you know, come on up, sit beside me. You will be brought up. When you humble yourself, you will be lifted up and honored in front of everybody by then. When the, finally the host realizes, this is a huge mistake, he can't be at the back. See the difference in the thinking? Verse 11 says, if you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored. 
In Luke chapter 11, we read this a couple of weeks ago. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, he says, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk into the marketplaces. They like to be seen. They like to be honored. They like to have recognition. And God is saying, yeah, well, you got all that you get then. Whatever you get from people, that's all you're going to get. But do you want to get recognition from me? You're going to have to act like my son. Let me tell you a little story about my, one of my, my boys, well, my oldest son. My, my, my two kids, older kids, went to Russia one day, uh, one day, one week, uh, for a mission trip. We were living overseas at the time, and we um, had a fellow in our church that had connections with an orphanage in, near St. Petersburg. And so they took my daughter and my son, uh, I think Matt was probably 14 at the time, a basketball player, he, we called him the gazelle. He was fast on the court, laid the ball up to the basket just with a nice fine touch. I said, don't you ever charge down the lane and miss the basket. You got to put it in. So he was just very smooth. He was well um, respected, a uh, little bit of recognition, a bit of a fancy player, I suppose. Well, he went to Russia to this orphanage, and they went to a TB, um, the house where kids had tuberculosis and kind of recovering place, I suppose. And um, he saw kids that didn't have anything. Not, not just in terms of clothing and shoes and toys, because they were orphanage. They got whatever was left over from other people, uh, probably donations. They didn't have um, really personal possessions. Some had cell phones that, of course, weren't connected. They just played games on them. And they tried to do some activities for the kids and um, I think several of the kids wanted uh, to go home with him. Can you take me home? Can you take me with you when you leave? It kind of broke his heart. And uh, <clears throat> when he came home, his entire demeanor changed. He was no longer demanding or ungrateful. He was starting to thank us for everything. Thanks for driving me to, to basketball practice, Dad. Thanks for, for a great meal, Mom. Uh, thanks for doing my laundry, Mom. <clears throat> uh, Thanks for helping me out with this, Dad. And it's like, I honestly, I got tired of it. It's like, can you stop this thanks stuff? Like, it's every other word is thank you. It's like, really? Like, who are you and what did you do with my son? Like, but he had been transformed because he, he saw the lives of other people. We were living in a bubble in Norway, expat community, People had huge salaries. They, got, they went shopping in Paris. They went, had Christmas in Prague. They went to London for shows from where we lived. And we, uh, we lived in, in, in excess in terms of the environment around us. We were kind of the poor pastor family in the middle of a lot of um, money. But he, when he went to see what others had or didn't have, it transformed his whole perspective. And I, to tell you, he didn't ever change from that. He's still kind and appreciative and see, when you humble yourself, you will be lifted up by God. When you see yourself in the right perspective, God has a chance of taking you and putting you in a place of honor, of, of, of influence, of respect. Everyone likes a humble person. Very few people really enjoy being around an arrogant, proudful, boastful person. Jesus is giving rules of etiquette. When you go to a party, be humble. Let others uh, extol you or talk about you, but don't praise yourself. 
Philippians 2.8 talks about Jesus and be found in a fashion as a man, it says. He humbled himself and he became obedient even unto death. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So remember that Jesus is in charge of the seating plan in heaven. Those that are humble here will get a place of honor in heaven. Those that are proudful and boastful and self-promoting here on earth will be put in the, the place of least honor in heaven. All of his stories, for the most part, have parallels with his father and his heaven. Well, there's another story. And then it says he looked at the man who had invited him. He keeps talking, giving lessons. Like uh, It would have been really awkward to invite him to dinner, as I think. So he says to the man who invited him in verse 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends and family and relatives and rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return and you'll be paid back. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. They can't pay you back, but God will bless you and reward you when his, uh, when his people rise from death. Do we really need to impress others? Do we need to invite certain people to dinner in hopes that they will invite us back to their place one day? Are we always doing things expecting some personal benefit or to enhance our reputation or to get a good name in our community? Can't we just be satisfied with simply being pleasing to God or do we need more? Verse 15, a man says, hey, uh, after Jesus had finished speaking, one of the guests said, the greatest blessing of all is to be at the banquet in God's kingdom. And Jesus doesn't dispute that. He just, he gives another story. Because <laughs> he likes, he teaches through stories, and half the time people don't get what he's saying, but when you listen, you understand the depth and the seriousness of what he says. This man probably assumed that everyone around the table with him that day would be up there in heaven, around the banqueting table in heaven, celebrating uh, heaven together. But in a very subtle and non-confrontational way, Jesus offers a correction. Now, Jesus would know because it's his heaven. And he's the only way to get to heaven. We don't decide who gets into heaven. He does. And so he told us this story. He says, you know, once a man gave a great banquet, another, another banquet, and he invited lots of guests. So normally advance notices would be like, I'm going to have a, a wedding. We have it today. You got a wedding invitation. You put it on your calendar. And then when the day comes, you get ready. And my wife and I went down to a wedding near uh, Tacoma a few months ago. We got through the border and realized we left our suit bag with all of our clothes in it at home in Abbotsford. We had to turn around and go back. We went back through the border, I think, three times that day. Uh, but the, the, what happens is in that day, an announcement goes out, and then, then the servant comes to each person that was invited and said, hey, it's time. It's time. Be ready. Come on out. It's, we're ready for you now. So you had uh, the first notice, and you had a second notice to come to the banquet. 
When the banquet was ready, he sent the servant to tell the guests, everything is ready, please come. And so one guest after another started making excuses. The first one said, I bought some land and I've got to go look it over. Please excuse me. Another guest said, I bought five teams of oxen and I need to try them out. Um, Please excuse me. Another guest said, I've gotten married and I can't be there. So the servant told his master what happened and the master became angry Go as fast as you can to every street and alley in town. Bring in everyone who is poor or crippled or blind or lame. So essentially, the man um, passes over his friends and the the people of, of notoriety, and he goes to all the overlooked people, opens his table to the city's outcasts, to those who are rejected, looked down upon, Many of them were not even allowed entrance into the temple of worship because they were crippled. And all those never had any hope of sitting at the table in this man's house. But now it's like, what? You're, you're inviting me? Like, this, this doesn't happen. No, honestly, we want you to come right now. Come to the house. You know where it is. It's up on the hill. So the servant returned in verse 22. Master, I've done everything you've told me and there's still plenty of room for more people. I have a feeling that the master's house was starting to look a little bit like a hospital. You got blind people with bandages. You got crippled people and lame people. They're all kind of in their crutches and, you know, coming in slowly and uh, the servant's going, what's going on here? But the master insisted my house must be full. I've got all of this. It's not going to go to waste. Bring everybody in you can find. And he says, I've done that. There's still room. And so the master says in verse 23, go out along the back roads, the fences, make the people come in so that my house will be full. So now he's going beyond the town, which would be, you know, normal people you pass in the marketplace, that type of thing. You see the beggars, you throw them some coins along the way. Uh, but now he's going outside of town. He's going to outsiders. Probably Gentiles is what this is referring to. People of other cultures, those that would never be expected to come in. And it says, um, make them come in or compel them to come in. The better word is convince them to come in because they would be the most skeptical of anyone. You're asking me, a Gentile, to come into a Jewish home? Like this is not, this does not happen. We never get invited into Jewish homes. And so he's saying, look, Whoever wants to come, I don't care who you are, where you are, you're invited. Please come now. It's ready for you. Come celebrate with me. And he says in verse 24, not one of those guests that I invited first will even get a bite of my food. The um, scholars agree that this would refer to his own people, the Jewish people that had first received the gospel, first Jesus said, I came to talk to my own people, not to the, not to the Gentiles originally. And then, then he's saying here, look, even Gentiles are welcome too. But his first assignment was to go to his own people and tell them the good news of the gospel about the kingdom is near. Also likely, Jesus was inviting those people around the table, his, his enemies, People that were trying to trap him. People that wanted to do harm to him. He's saying, no, even you. Even you can come. But they wouldn't. 
They rejected. They didn't accept the invitation. He invites everyone to have a chance at redemption, at transformation, at realizing God's love for them and accepting God's provision of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus is inviting this parable, saying he's inviting everyone to come, follow me. Not just believe I exist, not just appreciate the cost of salvation, not just to imitate him, but follow him as a disciple, as an understudy. A word I hear often today is an apprentice. As you're following Christ as an apprentice because an apprentice studies the master, studies the technique, studies the, the workmanship, and copies what the master is like. We are called to be apprentices of Jesus so that when he goes, we can continue his work in the same way he has done it. So after reading all these parables, you get the impression that food and feasting and party time was really important. Jesus is taking, but I do notice he didn't talk about roast beef or, um, you know, uh, steaks or chickens. He was talking about what's more important than food. How to be pleasing to his Father in heaven. So each of these situations... Uh, it's also curious who benefited from these situations. Uh, in the first story, uh, the infirm man was healed and sent home. The one that they were using as a tool to trap Jesus actually got the great, biggest blessing of all and went home rejoicing that he had a, a longer life to live. The second one, the humble, he says, will be, will be honored in front of everyone. Humble yourself. Let God lift you up. Because that's not what society was like at the time. You had to promote yourself, self-promotion. You've got to get your TikTok uh, ads out there. You've got to do some crazy dance with a cat on your head or something so everyone will follow you and give you lots of money. I mean, it's not self-promotion. How are you going to ever make it in this life? Well, Jesus says, yeah, I will help you make it in this life. But you need to humble yourself, not promote yourself. Third, he says, the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind are to come in and, and, and experience all the feasting, all the preparation. This is a banquet, a celebration. All those that are normally on the outside are going to be brought in on the inside. And those that should have been here are going to be kept on the outside. Jesus sees. He knows about the outcasts and the foreigners and the Gentiles, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. So many people in the Western world just don't really take God's invitation seriously. I know that there's a lot of people that will watch, a, we used to watch the Billy Graham Crusades. How many of you have sat through and watched the Billy Graham Crusade on your TV over the years sometime? Some of you? My, my father-in-law watched, watched that one time. He's not a believer, but that really moved him and really felt that that was a genuine Christian man that was preaching something important, but he just wasn't ready for that message. They hear the message, they see the invitation, they don't take it seriously because they already have everything they need. They have a good life, they've got money in the bank, car to drive, home to live in, food in the pantry, decent health, medical benefits. They just don't see a need for God. And so sometimes we have to get to a place where we are in crisis before we cry out to God. A health crisis, relationship crisis, 
financial crisis, a natural disaster. You saw what's happened in Mississippi yesterday. Like in the whole town was wiped out. Probably upwards of 30 people are standing before Jesus right now. They had no clue two days ago that that would be their situation. People that are already familiar with suffering or pain or disappointment or life struggles, they have to depend on God. And they seem more grateful and more appreciative, more open to God. And and I like the parable in the sense that God sees, he declares people who are infirm and crippled and lame and blind and homeless as invaluable and important to him. So so there's, there's... Jesus' economy, the tables are always turned upside down. The caste system will be turned on its head. The social ladder will be upside down. Your rank on earth will be meaningless in heaven. And I try to learn, what do I learn from these passages? I say three, three things really stand out to me. First, we should really be making every effort to honor those now whom God will be honoring later. So we are on the same page as he is. We shouldn't be ignoring certain people in society. We should be humbling ourselves and interacting with them. Where's that one last slide that I... That one. Humbling ourselves so that God can lift us up. Serving those who can't repay us. Helping those who are in need that we know have no hope of of ever returning the favor. Honor those that God will be honoring so that we are on the same page with Jesus and see people through his eyes. Everybody needs to come to his banquet. Second, people are more important than new carpets and buildings, more important than tradition and religious ritual, more important than our bucket list or career goals. People are always the priority. They are not to be dismissed and overlooked and ignored. They are why Jesus came and died. And we should see them in the same perspective as he does. Third, it's not people that we need to be impressing, but Jesus. He's the one who will reward us accordingly for what we have done to bless those he puts in our pathway. So what does this say about the next time you throw a party? Can you maybe consider inviting people who would not normally make your list? Can you show them some consideration, some love, some, hey, why don't you come to my home? We're going to have a party. What? Yeah, I know. You're welcome to come, 7 o'clock, my place Friday. Invite someone you would not normally invite. Put this into practice. Let God reward you for doing what he asked us to do. It's not, is it easy? No. Christianity is not easy. It was never promoted as easy. Christianity is hard. Christ was crucified on a cross, rejected. But what's the reward? Do you want your Father in heaven to reward you in the end and look to see how you actually did what he asked you to do? Or do you want to get all the praise and accolades of men? Then you pass away and realize, (laughs) where is everybody? It's all those people I thought are important aren't here with me anymore. Let's do what we can to impress our Heavenly Father, to act like Jesus, to be his apprentice today so that when we stand before him, he will say, come on in. 
I got a, I've got a place for you. Sit here at my table. You've been faithful. Now you get your reward. Let's pray. Father God, your lessons through the life of your son are challenging to us because we, were, we want to be so enticed by the world's standards and expectations and we forget that you've already told us exactly what you expect from us, how to act, how to live, how to serve, how to live by faith. Father God, uh, thank you that you had 12 disciples to teach and train and we can learn from the lessons you taught them as we are on our journey to, to heaven. We will get to be with you again, face to face in your heaven. Help us to live worthy of our calling as your apprentices now. Help our church, Father, to look like you. When people walk in our doors, there's no judgment, there's no critique. There's just love and open arms to say welcome. Everyone's welcome. Thank you, God, for this day, for your people, for the love they have for one another, and for those that you bring into our midst. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.